of the table. So let me pray, and then we'll begin. Father God, I pray for the children as they go out to Sunday school. Lord, let them have an amazing time. Father, I pray that they'd learn lots about you today. And Lord, as we come round this table today, as we come round your word today, Father, I pray that each one of us, Lord, would take our place. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So today is communion. And you might think this is about the communion table. But I want to go so much further than just to think about the communion table. The communion table is part of it. But this was really triggered by something that's happened for me over the last four to six weeks. I had a, a strange experience. Uh, I ended up teaching in a classroom at Warwick University uh, about six or seven weeks ago, which was the same classroom that I first ever taught in, nearly 30 years ago. And it had hardly changed. The paint had changed, the posters on the wall had changed, but I felt like I was kind of 30 years younger. As I was, and I, the age of the people in the room had changed as well. It was children and then it was... But it just felt very strange. And I'd just been on a journey of a bit of nostalgia. And actually I've ended up teaching in all my three former universities in the last few weeks. And ended up sitting around my... As I went to Norwich on Monday this week, I ended up sitting around my cousin's table. And we don't get together that often, but when we do, it's like we were that close straight away again. I don't know whether you've got family friends like that, but you can not see each other for months on end. And then when you get together, it's just like there's been no time missed at all. And you know, I was reflecting on this and talking to my cousin Kate about this and saying why she thought this was true. And she said, well, do you know what? When we were children in our kitchen, we had a big round table. And round this round table, everybody used to gather and everybody was welcome. Do you know what? I don't know what happens in your house and this is not meant to be a criticism in any way. It's meant to be an encouragement. But I want to encourage people to get people to gather around the table with them. One of the reasons I'm very comfortable that as Ronnie Mead Christian Fellowship moved into Virginia Lodge, that we had tables, was we've kept the tables. Because I think it's great to say, come and join me. And we need to make room at the table that we sit at. And I'm using that figuratively and also for your table at home. Is there room for someone else? Either from a chair point of view or from a space setting point of view or in your hearts and minds, in my heart, my heart and mind, have we got room? But I want to start with some table disciplines. The first one is this. I don't know what you're like, but I'm pretty poor at discipline around the mobile phone. And I want to encourage every one of you, if you're sitting down at the table to have food with someone, put your mobile phone somewhere else. Switch it on silent. Do you know what? I have sat down at tables with families and the children are there at the mobile phone texting as they're having their dinner. And we might say, oh, the younger generation. But I just turned my head and I looked towards mum and dad doing exactly the same thing. And kids learn by examples. I'm not having a go because I'm as bad as the rest of us. All I'm saying is I honestly think time around the table is so important. And actually sometimes people don't have tables anymore. 
That table has become a gathering around the TV screen. And again, I want to just challenge us. And again, I'm pointing at me and our household too. We do this too often. And we don't sit around the table often enough to talk to one another and to share with one another. So I'm going to start in Exodus chapter 25, beginning at verse 23. There's a table talked about here that says this. You shall also make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, and a cubit its width, and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold, and make a moulding of gold all round it. And you shall make for it a frame a handbreadth all round, and you shall make gold mouldings for the frame all around. And you shall make it for four rings of gold, and put the rings on the four corners that are at its four legs. The rings shall be close to the frame, as the holders of the poles to bear the table. And you shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, that the table may be carried with them. And you shall make its dishes, its pans, its pitchers and its bowls for the pouring. And you shall make of them pure gold. And you shall set the showbread on the table before me always. The showbread, the unleavened bread, the, the breaking of bread. That we actually, it, actually, this is where the Holy Communion came from. This setting of the bread before the Lord. And I don't know what you think about bread, but I find bread an amazing substance. It smells amazing. Freshly baked bread draws you in. I once was sent to our local bakers. This will show you how old I am. Um, we had a baker's in our local village and I was sent to get the bread one morning and I walked, it's about half a mile to the baker's. I walked to get the fresh bread on the way home. It smelt so great. I just kind of pulled a bit in the middle and then I pulled a bit more and then I pulled a bit more. And when we got home, I put it on the table with the hole on the back. And my mum came to cut the bread and she cut through and there was a great big hole all the way down the loaf. I'd eaten the whole of the loaf on the way home. I wasn't, I wasn't too popular that day. But what I want to say is bread tastes wonderful. Bread smells wonderful. And br the breaking of bread is something that we do together as we come around communion. But we can do any time. And there's something symbolic about breaking open something that has been freshly made and sharing it with the people around the table. And I'm going to characterize much of what I share today by stories that are from my life. Most of you know that I taught in Papua New Guinea for a number of years and they used to call me Brother David. They couldn't understand why a young man wouldn't have a wife, so I must be a monk, so they used to call me Brother David. <laughs> and um, I got to know the locals very well and every, every weekend I'd go for a walk to a different village. And often I get talking to people because I was one of the few white people in the area. Everybody knew the white man was coming because the drums had started to bang and people were telling one another and I'd arrive in a village or in fact I was walking through the bush one day and the gentleman came and started talking to me he said Emmy talk talk pigeon which is do you talk a little pigeon and I said yes and so we were chatting in English and pigeon as we were walking along and we came to his village and he said you come and eat with us and so I went to his house and there was a house win and a house win is without walls. It has a roof, it has a floor off the ground, but no walls. It's 
That's why it's called the house wind, so the wind can blow through. And I sat down and fairly quickly food came out and food was served. Now food is served in Papua New Guinea in bowls of great big lumps of root vegetables. Your potato fits in your hand because everything was eaten by hand. There were no knives and forks in the villages. And so this great big pile of yams and potato, sweet potatoes and other root vegetables, manioc, came out and I start, uh, we prayed and then we ate together. But I noticed that only the men were sitting in the house wind with me. And this was lunchtime and I was thinking, they didn't know I was coming. How come they had enough food for me as well? And I didn't really find out much this first time I did it, but the next village I went to, the next meal I had, I got to know people and I started to ask. They said, well, you're the honoured guest, so you eat first. And actually the children and the, and the children will wait. And I immediately suddenly thought, I was eating the children's food. And I was horrified. You, you can realise that immediately I started to eat less. I held back and ate slower. Because I thought, I don't want to eat somebody else. Now, I don't know what your rules at home when you were a child were. But we used to have a rule which was FHB. Family holds back. And this was particularly true when unexpected guests had arrived. Now, I've done this before, and I've seen it happen many times. Maybe it's happened for you. But I've met someone who said, oh, you must come around for dinner. Haven't seen one another for ages. And then what do we do? Excuse the phone at the table, but we get the phone out, and we start comparing diaries. Not next week, oh, I'm busy next week. And we eventually agree some kind of coffee or sandwiches together or a meal together in maybe some distant few weeks. And then sometimes those things get cancelled and changed. But you know, one of the things I found out was these folk just said, come and eat. And they hadn't done anything special. They said, come and eat what we're eating. You know, in the first few months of coming back from Papua New Guinea, sometimes I was having beans on toast for lunch. And I started talking to someone on the way back. I said, come and have lunch with me. I got the Papua New Guinea thing. So come and eat with me. And all I had was a tin of beans. I didn't have another tin of beans, but I just spread the beans out and cooked a few more pieces of toast. Come and eat with me. Come and fellowship with me. Come and sit round the table with me. You know, something about breaking bread together that is so powerful. And for me, the table is not just a table. It's also a place of family. And it's also a place of love. And if I think of love, I think of my family. And if I think of my family, I think of the table. Sometimes it was a round table. In my grandparents' house, they had a table in the dining room. But that was only used for very special occasions. Maybe Christmas dinner at best. Maybe Sunday lunch if there were special guests coming around. But normally it was around the, the table in the kitchen. And I remember jokes and fun, and cards, and food around the table. But you know, I never ever remember the table being too small. And I look at that table, because that table is still in our kitchen today. The same table that my mum had many years ago. And that table, we sat 23 people round one Sunday. 
Now, it wasn't an amazing table, but we've got a bit of wood and we balanced it on another table. And then we squeezed all the chairs in and some people were two people sitting on a chair, but there were 23 people sitting around a table. And we were all sitting eating like this. And actually, it would have been easier for take me to take my fork and feed my cousin who was sitting next to me, because that would have been easier than me trying to feed myself. It was that crowded. But I never remember somebody saying, there's not room at the table. And I'm just challenging ourselves, because do you know what? When we used to run senior citizens' lunches, lunches at New Road many years ago, I remember sitting opposite people on the table, and they'd say, do you know what? I love this. I love the fact that I eat a meal that I haven't cooked, and I'm not eating alone. And I thought, wow, it's that simple. It's really that simple. And so, and, and, and Jesus did so much around the table. If I go now to read, David wrote a beautiful psalm that says this. It's a psalm we know so well. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And then it goes on to say in verse 5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You prepare a table. There is a, ta there is a place for you at the table. And you know, one of the things that I found fascinating is whenever my mum used to lay the table, and my aunt as well, I guess they learnt it from their mum. My, my grandma Elsie, she was four foot eleven. She was really, sh really short. My grandfather was six foot two. Um, but there was always room at the table. And here's the thing. Sometimes my grandfather would come through the door and he'd say, another one for lunch, love. And do you know, by the time we sat down at the table... There was a place already set for this person. It wasn't, oh, oh, wait, let's find the forks. She'd already laid the place. There was a place at the table for you. And I want to say, as we come around the communion table today, there is a place around the table for you. Do you know, sometimes we discount ourselves and say, we are not worthy to eat of the bread and drink of the wine. Do you know, we don't make ourselves worthy. It's not by what we do that this becomes real. This, 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 this doesn't become real by anything we do, apart from taking the bread and drinking the wine. The reality of the truth of communion is 2,000 years ago, when Jesus went to the cross, and he died, and he rose again. And Jesus told stories, not only... If you look up the word table in the New Testament in the four Gospels, you'll find it appears many times. And there's another word that appears with it very commonly as well, and that's reclined. Jesus reclined at the table. And I want you to carry this image because the table has changed since Jesus' days. He would have probably sat down on a lower table. The table would have been about this far off the floor. And reclining was to sit down and to have rest on one arm and to eat with the other arm. That was re what reclining was about. So when Jesus reclined at table, it wasn't he fell asleep. That was the way you ate. You left, leant on one arm and reached out across the table. And another table that I remember so distinctly was my other grandmother. And my grandfather, 
loved snooker. So in the dining room, which was as probably as big as this room we're sitting in now, was a snooker table. But this snooker table had a top on it that turned it into a dining table. And so I remember as a little boy, six, seven, eight, sitting at this enormous table. And all the plates of food were in the middle of the table. But I could never reach them. And I looked at the piles of potatoes and the piles of vegetables and the, the, the chicken or the turkey if it was Christmas. And I had to wait for someone to serve me. But you know, someone always did serve me. And I always had more than enough because there is more than enough at the table. Don't look at the table and think there will never be enough. Jesus illustrated this when he fed the 5,000. He sat down. Okay, it was a figurative table. They sat down together. They reclined together in the field. And he said, what do we have? And a small boy comes forward with loaves and fishes. And Jesus blesses it. And then 5,000. And my understanding is it was many more than 5,000. Lots and lots of people were fed. And then in the Gospel of Luke, there are a couple of stories that I'm going to read. One is from Luke 14, beginning at verse 7, and says this. So Jesus told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how those had chosen the best places, saying to them, when you're invited to any, by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down at the best place, lest one more honourable than you might be invited by him. And he who invited you, him comes and says to you, give your place to this man, and then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who will sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then he also said to him who invited him, When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbours, lest they will also invite you back and you will be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And I'm not necessarily saying that we should walk out in the streets and invite people, complete strangers in. But you know what? Those who are poor in heart, those who are alone, those who need something more, would truly welcome being invited. I'm teaching a class of students at the moment, and half of the class is Chinese. And every week, one of the students has to present for two minutes about themselves. Their past, their present, their future, their family and friends, and a motto. That's what they have to do. And one of the Chinese students about five weeks ago stood up. She talked about her past and where she'd studied at university. And she talked about her present. In the middle about talking about her present, she said, and I don't like English food. And we sat there listening. There was two other English, uh, two, two, uh, two other English people in the in the class, and we were thinking, oh, I wonder what she's eaten that make means she doesn't like. It. She she then went on to describe. She said, I don't like English food because it's potatoes, tomatoes, tomatoes, potatoes, potatoes, tomatoes, tomatoes, potatoes. <laughs> and I was sitting there thinking, I don't know what table you've at, young lady, but 
I can think of so many other things that will be English, like fish and chips, like roast beef. So we chatted to her afterwards and said, no, in fact, we chatted to her, not on one side, we asked her in front of the group and just said, um, what kind of potatoes? What kinds of tomatoes? She said, well, those grilled ones. I said, what time of day are you having these potatoes? And she was talking about hash browns. And she was talking about grilled tomatoes. And she was basically talking about the canteen food in the university at breakfast time. But that was her view of English food. We're, we're slowly changing that. In fact, we're introducing her to mince pies in the lecture next week. <laughs> I don't know whether she'll like them, but she'll find out whether she does or she doesn't. But there is a space around the table. And there is plenty of food. And I want to say, please come and take your place at the table. Please come and eat and drink. Because in the same, same gospel, Luke then goes on to talk about, in verse 15, the parable of the great supper, the great feast. Now when one of those who had sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread of the kingdom of God. And then he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground, must go and see it. I ask you to be excused. Another said, I have brought five yoke of oxen, I'm going to test them. I ask to have to be excused. Still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who are invited shall taste my supper. I find it fascinating that people who were invited and my understanding of this story, they already knew the supper was going to happen. And now here was the reminder. Said, oh, I've got some oxen. I don't know if you'd have been the, uh, the master of the house. But I'd have felt snubbed. I've prepared this beautiful feast. I've got the best of food in. I'm inviting all my friends around. And I've just brought some land and want to go and look at it. Really? I want to go and test the oxen. Really? There is a place at the table and there is plenty of food. So much so at this table that the master illustrates that not only having gone and found all the poor and maimed and hungry, he says, go out again because there is still room at the table. As you know, I remember, for me, that love speaks of family. And as I think of family, I think of sitting around the table. And I've done this before and I've got out of the habit of doing this, so this is a provocation to me as it might be to you. But you know, there's been times when I've sat around our table 
And I've turned to people who are complete strangers and said, how is your week? And they've given me some kind of half-hearted answer. And I realised that I'd never earned the right to ask them the question, how was your week? Because I wasn't expecting to get asked back. Until one day, sitting around a table, I turned to someone and said, how was your week? And they genuinely told me how crummy it had been, how difficult they'd had. They, they, they gave me a full 20-minute breakdown of how terrible their week had been. And I don't know what you're like, but often when I ask, how are you? I just expect to find, thanks very much. I don't expect the complete answer to the question. But you know, we need to be ready. Because if we're going to ask that question, we need to mean it. And if we mean it, then we need to be ready for the answer. But here's the thing that surprised me. Having then for 20 minutes told me about how terrible their week was. They then turned to me and said, so Dave, how was your week? And I immediately suddenly felt my space had been invaded. Who are you to ask, ask me how my week was? But I realised that they'd earned the right. Because they just told me how their week was. And my, my guard came down and I genuinely told them about the goods and the bads. And, and I want you to think about this in the context of children. Often families, grandparents, mums and dads will sit around the table at supper time with their kids. Say, how was school today, dear? And you'll get an answer. Mm, okay. Or, mm, it was all right. We had fish and chips for lunch at school. Or whatever it was. But you won't get the richness of the day. And you get that because that's what we give them. Do you know one of the things that I've seen modelled a number of times, my granddad was one. He'd say to me, Dave, you can ask me how my day was and I'll tell you. And he did. He didn't tell me the complete truth. But he, was, he didn't tell me about you know, a dreadful thing that had happened. But he told me a dreadful thing had happened. He wouldn't tell me the details as a child. I didn't need to know. But he told me about his day. Do you know what? He drew me into his world. And in drawing me into his world, I ended up praying for my granddad. And my granddad then asked the question, so how was your day? And because he'd already opened up himself to me around the table, I felt so comfortable comfortable and ready to say the same. To tell him how my day had been, how somebody had been rude to me at school or I got a bad mark in a test. The kind of things that children never want to admit to. But we did it round the table. And there was always place around the table to talk about failure. But there was also place around the table to talk about success. And sometimes... I'd be sitting at the table with my grandfather and he'd be talking to me and my grandmother would be listening in the background preparing maybe cold ham and chips. That's a meal that you, I don't know whether you ate, but that was a regular meal when I was a child. And uh, suddenly a voice would pipe up from behind me and say, but you did your best, didn't you? And suddenly I was being encouraged and suddenly I was being lifted up. Do you know, I never, ever, never, ever, never, ever left my grandfather's table discouraged. Never. And I want to say the same around the communion table. As we come and we eat of the bread and drink of the wine, I, I want to do it a little differently today. Juliet's going to leave, but I'd like, I'd like people to come 
to that table, rather than it be passed around. There's something symbolic today about coming to the table, to come and to eat and to drink and remember that Christ died for us. So if I think of love, I think of the table. I think of the family. And if I think of the family, I think of the table. And I think of the family of man gathered around the communion table, made possible by the death of our Saviour Christ, who died for us. Now, some of the things that I've been challenged around here have been very much around a book by a guy called Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Anybody read any, anything by him? Fantastic writing. Yeah, he was persecuted for his belief, and he wrote a book called Simple Living, or Living Simply, and he talks about the ministry of the table. And he talks about how important it is to come round the table. And he says, in his experience, Psalm 23 came to manifest reality. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. He was persecuted by the Nazis. He was, he was uh, tortured, but he still shared around the table. He, many times that he was sitting around the table talking to people, opening up scripture together with people, and the Nazis would, would burst in and he'd get arrested and he'd get taken off to prison yet again. But he said, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The first thing he was doing was to acknowledge the table. You prepare this for me. And there's sacrifice in preparation. You know, there is sacrifice. And the stories that I read around the banqueting feast of moving up the table. Do you know the only reason I know that it was possible to fit 23 around our table is because I remember sitting on the arm of a settee that was pushed up against the table because I was the only person at that time whose legs would actually fit under the table and still sit on the arm of the settee. It wasn't really a chair, but I was round the table. And why did I sit on the arm of the settee? So someone could sit in my chair. Family holds back. So when I think of love, I think of the family. And when I think of the family, I think of the table. I just want to encourage us to lay aside the things of the day. Maybe make some space. Maybe just start with once a week. But you know what? My granddad developed this habit. So he used to, uh, you know, and once we got into it, the first thing I asked when we sat down at table with granddad was, how's your week, granddad? I didn't even need to be asked, given permission then. I sit down at the table. Now, here's the thing. It never changed, didn't change at all on how, how different people were at the table. So sometimes there would be complete strangers to me and sometimes complete strangers to my granddad sitting around the table. And I'd say to my granddad, how was your day? And his answer was the same, whether it was just me or whether it was with strangers around the table. He was truly honest about his day. And I remember uh, my aunt had brought someone back, someone who was, uh, she was a folk dancer and they'd been dancing. And she said, why don't you come back to us for some lunch? And so my granddad and my grandmother and me and my mum my and my sister and my auntie and a few others were sitting around the table. 
And this complete stranger was sitting there. I'd never met him before. And I, out of excitement, asked my granddad how his day had gone. And he told us. And then he asked me how my day went. And I told him. And I'd had a pretty rough day that day. And there's been some things that have gone on that made me cry. But I told him anyway. Do you know what happened? He then turned to the complete stranger on the table and said to her, so how did your day go? And she shared some most vulnerable things around the table, which was mainly strangers to her. And she ended up crying too. And I remember her turning to me and saying, David, because that's what they call me as opposed to Dave, thank you for being so honest around the table. And there is a place around the table for you. But there's a place for honesty too. And there's a place to ask a question. So as we head towards Christmas, I want to ask the question to you. Could you make space at your table? Maybe not on Christmas Day, but leading up to Christmas. Maybe not necessarily even a meal, maybe just coffee. I was sitting in Starbucks not that long ago, about six or seven weeks ago, having a coffee and the Starbucks was very busy. Very, very, very busy. Hardly any chairs left, let alone, there weren't any other tables. And I could see somebody struggling and they had a plate with something on it and a cup of coffee and they were looking for somewhere to sit. And I just pushed the chair that was spare at our table out and just said, come and join us. Now, of course, we stopped talking about the work situation that we were talking about. That wasn't appropriate. But we carried on talking. The person with the coffee and the, what was it, ginger loaf cake she was eating, because I can remember the smell of it. I was thinking, that was wonderful. <laughs> and I thought, why did I invite you to come and sit at this table? I can now smell wonderful ginger loaf cake. But we just, we just involved her in the conversation. She just joined in. You know, by the time we left, I felt she was a friend. She was a complete stranger. Is there room at your table? Because there's room at Jesus' table. He said, come eat. And so in Luke 22, it says this, beginning at verse 7. Then the day of the unleavened bread came when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. Go and prepare the feast so that we may eat together. So they said to him, where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, behold, when you've entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room. There make ready. So they went and found it, just as he said, and they prepared the Passover. I want you to just imagine, you're walking down the high street. You are the, the servant, I guess, in this illustration. You walk down the high street, and two men follow you into your house, or to the house that you serve in. And they turn to you and say, who is the master of the house? And then you ask the master of the house, where is your guest room? Because the rabbi, the teacher has need of it. I don't know what you'd do, but I'd be, I'd already be turning around to them as they were entering through the front door going, excuse me. But Jesus was being prophetic in these moments. He'd already said, 
Follow this man. Walk into the city gate. Follow this man. I'm pretty sure it wasn't any old man. But then it goes on to say in verse 14, When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve disciples with him. Then he said to them with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled to the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave it thanks and gave thanks and said, This take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I say to you that not will you drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of the God comes. Then he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man whom he has betrayed. And then they began to question amongst themselves to whom have been, whom this thing would be said about. So he already talks about his death, even as they come round the Last Supper. He already knows what is going to happen, what is to come. But he says, come and eat of this bread and drink of this wine. Because there is room around the table. There is plenty to feed us. There is more than enough. So when I think of the table, I think of the family of God. And when I think of the family of God, I think of God's love for us. Let me pray. Now I've probably touched on a whole pile of different, and I've probably trodden on some memories for some of you today. I deliberately sat down because I didn't want to be confrontative or provocative. But for some of us, the table is a dangerous place. Either because there were fights over food, people made you eat things that you didn't want to eat. Or because you had to sit so upright at the table and you weren't allowed to talk until somebody had spoken to you. And for others, there was no table. Your table was the tray or the lap in front of the TV or on the floor. I don't want to squash people's memories. And I don't want to revive pain. But I do want to give you a new picture. A picture where God says, there is a place prepared for you. There's a place at the banqueting table prepared for you. There is more than enough. And don't look at yourself to decide whether you're worthy to be at the table or not. Because your worth is not found in who you are, but who you are in Christ. And so manifesting Christ, we come round the communion table and remember what he's done for us. And for those who've been provoked to think about the table differently today, I just encourage you to take one small step. It might be as simple as the way you eat in your canteen at work. 
where instead of sitting with the same people every time, maybe you'll sit with strangers. Or maybe you'll sit on your own and then invite someone to come and join you. Because there is more than a there is more than room in your heart for strangers. There is more love in heaven for strangers. And the kingdom of heaven comes to earth. Heaven touches earth through his disciples, through his people, as we are church together. So help us, Lord, to come round your table. Help us to come round tables together to be glorified.